0: you know, so there's like the tripwire just represents something that you haven't fully smoothed out in your energy. And so then it would, it acts as a tripwire and then your dream goes and it manifests like, you know, an outcome of it falling apart. And then you said, and then being okay with it just falling apart. And I was like, that's exactly it. That's the thing that smooths out the energy around the the tripwire is like, if I trip, it's going well, okay. to be okay. It's going to be okay because it's not the last place. Right. And
1: it's, and it's so, it's so funny too, because through this whole process, you know, again, coming back to like this apartment saying yes to this, it's kind of a townhouse saying yes to this townhouse had a, has a, uh, what's the words I'm looking for here saying yes to this townhouse was like a large increase in income that I was going to need to start putting myself into. And so there was like a piece of me, Like, you know, I'm getting for the ping from source. It's like, yeah, you got to do this, go through the process. I'm like, okay, yes, I'm in like, I trust you. Um, but there was nervousness of it actually happening recently. Now I'm starting to get nervousness of it, not actually happening. (laughs) And I'm just sitting here like, all right, I get it. (laughs) Like, all right, I get it. I'll take a step back. I'll remember my, you know, breathing techniques. I'll calm myself down and, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can. But at the end of the day, if this isn't for my highest self, I trust that you're going kind of like what we talked about on your podcast, where I have that little thing where I'll just be like, yeah, if, if this isn't for my highest self, I trust that you'll prevent me from doing it. I'll prevent me from having it until I am ready for it to be for my highest self.
0: Yeah. Totally. Which is such a huge level of trust to embody. And, uh, so it's so amazing. Do you do any kind of visualization? Um, or like, Im- I don't like restricting it to visualizing cause I know some people aren't visual, but like, do you do any like preparatory, like feeling it before it happens kind of work?
1: Yes. So, I don't know how much we got into this. Whenever I was on your podcast, also by the way, guys, I was on Amy's podcast. So go check out Clanky Terry on Third Eye Awakening. I forget what number was it. Do you remember That's what well. number
0: it was? I have no idea what number oh. any of my podcasts <laughs> are, but it was it was like three weeks ago. So we talked about like
1: I think the t- God consciousness was in the title or something. Um, yeah. But to get back to it, where was I going with this? Oh, what do I do? A big element, I think, of what I do is in regards to teachings by Paramahansa Yogananda. Like, I literally just ordered another book of his because he's just something about the way he speaks and everything just resonates to my core. What is it that I do? You know, I I see that this whole thing that we're engaged is is this mutual connection between me and God, right? There's a divine spark. We talked about this part. There's a divine spark in all of us. So, uh, my goal as a human is to become as much in tune with that divine spark as possible. So, what that means is I'm basically co creating this entire reality with God. So, as I'm coming to decisions, you know, there's, I, I've noticed that there's leeway in the decisions we can make. So, what started this chain reaction within regards to my housing situation was me knowing that I need to get out of my parents' basement, but where am I going to go? And this was, God was like, Hey, like, you know that you need to make the next steps, but you're being indecisive because for a long time, I was like, Oh, I either want to go to Austin, Texas, or I'm just going to stay in Pittsburgh. But like, God, whichever one's for me, like y- you decide, like, I'll, you know, whatever. And nothing was shifting. And it wasn't until I actually fully decided, like, you know, making a pros and cons list of why Austin, why Pittsburgh, I could see that there was more material reasons in Austin, but there was more deeper spiritual reasons to stay in Pittsburgh. And so, you know, ultimately I picked Pittsburgh and then once I like was like, okay, I'm all in on Pittsburgh and started listing out what I wanted in a place and all this different stuff that was whenever kind of the magic started unfolding. So To kind of keep this going, what happened? So whenever I saw this place for the first time, there were so many just like sparks that were getting fired off. First of all, it was far bigger and far more than I need, which was, of course, one of the beautiful blessings that God, I think, gives, or I guess I almost know at this point, one of the blessings that happens. But another thing was, as I was kind of walking through it, I could kind of see where everything would go. Okay. Podcast studio is going to be here. The jujitsu is going to happen here. Okay. That's where my meditation room is going to be. And so it was almost this, you know, if you want to say, we're going back to our movie analogy, seeing scenes from that movie before they were transpiring and like, like, Oh my gosh, like, I think this is, this makes sense. This is the place. And so we leave the apartment and uh, the realtor, whatever leaves before me. And I'm like, Oh wait, Hey, I just saw that the lights on. Um, and she's like, okay, well I can get it later, but if you're there, like, do you want to handle it? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I got it. And so she gave me the code to the place. I, you know, turn off the light and then I stand there for a second and try to just connect with the energy of the place. At which point, you know, I kind of meditated slash prayed. It's kind of hard to describe. Mm -hmm. I I know there's a difference, but that's a whole another conversation. And I was basically like, hey, God, like if this is the spot I'm in, like, like kind of give me a sign. And one of my big signs that I usually get is like an electric shock that kind of runs through my body. It'll start at my feet and then very quickly, like go up my legs through my spine into my head. And something about it always is just like it's like a yes feeling or like it's this feeling of like divinity within me, if you will. And so whenever that happened, I was like, okay, like say no more. I'm down. I'm completely in. And it scared the shit out of me. Amy, I was fucking scared. I was like, I was like, you know, I have no idea how this is going to unfold, but I'm down for the ride. And so the last, that would have probably been uh, right at the beginning of August. So like the last 20 some days have been crazy in regards to money flowing in from different places, seeing new ways to approach content, just personal energetic frequency. I don't know, vibrations in regards to trust or patience or all those different fun stories we were talking about. So to get back to your question, I, I think the absolute best thing that you can do is get yourself to a place of calmness. And I don't know if we touched on this in your podcast, but one thing that Paramahansa does talk about is how calmness is a manifestation of God. So when we're mm. feeling calm, we're feeling peace, we're feeling bliss, that's whenever we can communicate with God. If, we're, if our nervous system's activated, if we're in that sympathetic response, if we're agitated, you're not going to be receiving the divine message of god because you're too you're too attached to something there's too much energy going on because the voice of god is a lot more calm it's a lot smoother it's a lot more i think there's a a verse let me see um there's a verse in the bible that's along the lines of be still and know that i am god psalms 46 Mm -hmm. 10 yeah be still and know that i am god it's literally saying that like stillness is where god lies being relaxed, being Mm -hmm. calm. That is God speaking to you. So if you're able to carry out that feeling, that is your connection to the divine source. I know everyone, especially in our communities are like, you got angelic beings, you got these, you got spirit guides, you got the light star seeds, which are fine and dandy and they do exist. My whole thing has recently just been like, well, why don't I just go to the source of it all? Why? Like, I think they're good. I think they're fun. I think they're fun to like play with and talk to and all that stuff, but why not just go to the source? And so to kind of just get back to your question. Yeah. I try, I get myself as calm as possible. I get really in tune with my nervous system, which has helped a lot with like cold plunges because that'll activate your nervous system immediately. And so you can now feel it. You're like, Oh, this is what it feels like whenever I'm in a fight or flight mode. And so then you learn how to de-stress yourself become calm, contact God, and then have a peaceful, calm conversation.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't, I knew that cold plunges were good for that, but I, I've never heard anybody break it down like that where I'm like, oh, okay, that's, yeah, that makes sense. You would cold plunge, you would let your nervous system be totally activated into like survival, fight or flight contraction. And then you employ like breathwork techniques or whatever to at will, like, Yeah. Move it into a state of calm. I I agree so much. And that's really like a a big piece of how I teach people psychic activation is that um, if our nervous system is activated and contracted, we're not going to be able to pick up. We're not going to be able to connect with God. We're not going to be able to connect with um, our higher selves, our intuition, like whatever layer of beings like you were talking about we or a layer of information we want to connect with we really 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 have to learn how to regulate the nervous system
1: which and i think i heard you talking about this in a podcast but even you know that element of trusting like if you're not trusting yourself that's going to activate your nervous system you're going to be like wait yeah. I, like oh shit like they just told me that i was this and that and that this happened and that can't be true that can't be right like like that little bit of insure insure, uh, that little bit of insure. i love when i just make up phrases on this podcast i'm, I'm starting to vibe <laughs> with it now because I, I at first was like okay i need to be proper etiquette speaking but i think there's something with like oh we talked about this on your podcast for sure with like making up words that like actually make sense yeah. like like speaking out of grammatical punctuality because it makes more sense without it um yes Oh, where was I going with that though? I forgot my train of thought. Now I was excited. The, about that. You were
0: talking about the, that doubt, that little mm. bit of doubt that comes in, in terms of like receiving psychic information.
1: Yeah. Because that, that doubt will, yeah, will snap you out of it. Right. You'll, you'll start questioning yourself. It it activates the nervous system and that's what will shut off essentially your guess. your, your, your guests will shut off. <laughs> that was the completely wrong word. <laughs> will shut off your psychic abilities because you're not in the place of calmness. So, you know, that's how you kind of detach yourself. And then, you know, if you want to bring this back to the real world or actual world, it's like, that's all of this stuff we're talking about, worrying about the fires, worrying about the fluoride that's in our water, worrying about what, who's going to be the next president, worrying about, you know, things that are completely out of my control. The number one thing that you have in your control is your nervous system that's a hundred percent it. And it seems to me the more that I just relax that, and I know what my triggers are too, which is cool. Like if my mom's about to say something or like I can feel the energy before it even happens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so just taking that second to just, <sighs> okay, let me approach this from a calm place. It changes everything. It changes right. everything.
0: It does. I totally know what you mean. Cause I'm the same with my husband. Like I love him so much. He'll, you know, it just happens when you're in a long-term relationship, you get on each other's nerves. And so I can, he, he, He is the one that keeps me informed, whether I ask about it or not, about the doomsday scenarios of the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's my chief advisor that I never hired. (laughs) (laughs) I'll feel him coming into the room with that energy. Like I'll, I'll just feel it before it happens. And exactly that, that exact thing of just like, okay, and we're going to, I'm, I don't need him to be different. I can just (sighs) allow this to play out and neutralize it. You know, it, it really does change things. Cause then you, that's the main thing, at least for me is like, then I don't need him to be different or anybody else that triggers me or, um, some kind of scenario. Like I don't need that thing to change in order to feel better. I can just feel better, which is extremely liberating in all areas of life.
1: I, I think that's what salvation is. You know, whenever we're talking about becoming one with God, it's, Completely freeing yourself from that, you know, it, it manifests in the nervous system, but it's freeing yourself from that energy as a whole.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the topics of like redemption and salvation, things like that. I I don't talk about them very much because I feel like they're super lofty, but I I just love those topics and understanding what salvation really means because i think at the end of the day at at the end of whatever the proverbial day all of us as souls we meet that theme you know it might not happen in a particular lifetime we might be focused on other things but there's a point where you're you're tired it's almost like as a soul you're tired you're tired of all the the whole trauma drama narrative that we do as humans and you just seek to be reunited with the divine and that is the process of of salvation and i think that your that description you just offered is so beautiful where you can you're just you are one with god rather than outsourcing your power to all these other things that are happening and then you become like the eye of the hurricane where the chaos can be cycling all around you but you are in in your own centeredness connected directly to god
1: yeah, I actually uh I'm gonna plug his book, Paramahansa. I just got it in the uh I just got it in the I
0: gotta check it uh, out. I'm so glad you're showing it because I was gonna well, there's, ask another after one. Anyway. Well, there's
1: another one. Uh <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so crazy. Like, Amy, listen, I don't I kinda read books. Like sometimes I'll read like the first like couple pages. I'll be like, okay, I understand what they're saying, where they're going with this. Yeah, it's a good book. Like you should read it. There's some books I can't really finish. There's some books But I rarely read more than one book by people. Paramahansa, you should see up. I I don't have it right here in the next studio. I'll have it behind me. But I think I have probably 12 or 13 of his books at this point that are absolutely insane. Some of them are are actually keeping my uh, camera up right now. Um, There's so many powerful ones. But definitely start off with Autobiography of a Yogi. But based on like what we're talking about here, the one that I'm reading right now is uh, inner peace, how to be calmly active and actively calm. It's so phenomenal because he just breaks it down out here. Let me read you. Actually, I'll read you the chapter titles. All right. Chapter one, where can I find peace? Chapter two, meditation, the science of being actively calm. Chapter three, the spiritual art of relaxation, removing stress from body and mind. Chapter four, how to be calmly active, centered in peace no matter what you are doing. Chapter five, peace in your daily life, essential prim- principles and practices. Chapter six, the wisdom perspective that leads to inner peace. I mean, and like it's just it's hard to put into words, but it it makes so mm-hmm. much sense. It's it's being able to, you know, going back to our movie analogy, being able to detach ourselves from that individual frame that we're experiencing right now. And just knowing that there's a bigger picture that's unfolding, like this one frame is a part of a much bigger picture, and we have no idea how it's going to unravel. So whether or not I get my house or not, whether or not I have to tell people that I'm not actually moving to the strip district, whether or not I lose all of my podcast equipment, someone comes in and steals it all. It's knowing to learn how to be peaceful in those moments. And especially every time you start getting triggered, it's amazing. Like, I'd go to tub clubs on every Wednesday and I come down, you know, and I, our parents, I uh, share a car with them. I came down this morning and I was like, Hey, like, you know, they're like, Oh, like, how's your day? I was like, Oh, I have a podcast with Amy. I'm going to tub club later. And they're like, Oh, we have a problem. Like we all need the cars tonight. And that was like a trigger for me. Like I like instantly noticed I get triggered. I'm like, Nope. (sighs) I'm just like, okay. Um, well we'll figure it out. And then, you know, we start talking more about it and then there's room for it because like worst case scenario, I could always get an Uber or something. And so, you know, it, I'm not going to have to get an Uber and it all can just like, it all ends up just working itself out where there's like no issue whatsoever. And it's, it's really amazing how, gosh, it's just beautiful. I I guess I just want to highlight that the book's beautiful about learning how to reclaim the inner peace within your, your body, within your citadel, such that you don't make detached or unaligned actions with your higher self
0: yeah which is such a isn't that what we all actually want like it's funny because you know a lot of the time we think we want to manifest for example money or like money feels like a big one to me even though it's not the one i'm the most interested in Currently, but it it previously was because I was learning how to master it, and um but we want we think we want money or we think we want a specific relationship or you know whatever circumstances and you know Abraham Hicks says this, which it takes some issue with the things that Abraham Hicks says, but there's a lot of truth there too I feel, and like um she points out that everything you want is because you think you'll feel better for having it, so just feel better now and then you get to have it. But if you, if you wait till you have it until you feel better, you you can't have it because you feel like shit and it yeah. exists where you feel better. <laughs> and, but to bring it to, um, the topic of inner peace and like, I just, it makes me so happy when people can like successfully write a book and market it and like bring that message to, to more, Of us because we think we want these things. But the only reason we want, like the only reason any of us want money is because we want to feel free. We want to feel supported. We want to feel safe in our bodies and our nervous system to be our full authentic selves and to move through the world in accordance to that, like those those pings that we receive. We want, we want to feel peace. Like that's all any of us actually want is to just feel peace. So it's really amazing that somebody has written a book, somebody with a large audience and a large influence has written a book that's just like just here's how this just here's peace. Yeah. Learn it. Feel it. It Be in that state. And then you don't have to worry. Like I think as you were as you were talking about it, I was thinking, like, that is That is then what is achieved when, like, when you hear people talking manifestation about the importance of surrender. And most of us, because we have these tight nervous systems and we have these really intense stories going, we're like, surrender means I'm giving up. Like I'm waving the white flag. It's never going to happen. I'm just accepting my shitty lot in life. But surrender means that you're in such a state of peace and like union with God that you. You don't feel like you need to micromanage anything anymore. You can just like, you're just opening up and dilating. You're just dilating and letting it all flow in because your vibration is peace. And so you know that the things that come in will match peace. And that anything that comes in just to be like, whoop, like let's, let's shake it up a little bit, you will be able to regain peace very quickly and easily. Cause it's like the inner state that has been chosen, you know, and bringing it back to our nervous systems. Like, again, I think the nervous system is key to almost everything because an, uh, a nervous system that is fearful is contracted and then it is dialed into fearful, contracted things that reinforce It's like, that's all we can see when we have a contracted nervous system. When we cultivate um, peace and dilation, then we can allow in all those like really beautiful things that just feel almost like, can this even really be true? But we're also, we also vibrate at that state of being. And so we have a, a little bit of surprise, but also like, of course it's like this at the same time, you know, like I'm surprised. And like, of course this is how it's gonna go i
1: think that's joy i think that's like kind of just like the essence of joy and of of like uh you know bliss almost right it's that it's that state of just experiencing everything as if it's like new and brand new and i don't don't know it's a it's a very fascinating feeling because it really can take you over in a in a beautiful way And I think that's obviously another thing that people can struggle with, which is uh, surrendering because, you know, or letting go because they think that they have to be in control of it. But, you know, I, and this, this really shook me and this is kind of a a bizarre thing, but there was like a fly that was in our kitchen and, you know, I opened up the window, but he wouldn't go out. And so all, all I did was very peacefully, very calmly moved him out the window and he flew away. And whenever I did that, just like this, overwhelming, like I was almost brought to tears with how much joy and how much like it was the most profound thing in the world. And I'm sure it even sounds weird saying it now that like helping a fly out the window could bring so much joy and just so much serenity, but it did. And that's something, I mean, that just really, really blew me away that, that that much joy could be in helping an insect move on the other side of a piece of glass.
0: It totally makes sense to me because what I hear when you're saying that is like this deep recognition in that moment, in that scenario that you were free of the perception that you have to destroy this other life form in order to return to your state of peace. Like your peace is not fragile. It's very deeply intentionally cultivated. And so as you watch this other little life form fly away onto its own trajectory, because you don't, do you know what I mean? Like you don't. Again, I think about like my, my husband, it's just killing the flies everywhere. With like we've gone through several fly swatters and I think about it. I'm like, and I know, and I've talked to him about it. I'm like, your piece is very fragile. You have a fragile piece. Because there's something deeper that wants to be gone into, and I think that's true of a lot of people, like I'm not meaning to throw him under the bus, he's just the person I live with, but um, and I know I've been in that state before too, where it's a veneer of peace, but underneath is chaos, and if that veneer is if there's turbulence, then it feels like um it can feel like suddenly the chaos is predominant, and you have cultivated such a deep state of peace that the fly is not a threat. And and then that extends to every other form of life. You don't need to destroy or crush any one or anything else in order to be at peace. You can let, let it go.
1: Here's um, <laughs> throw in this little nice little duality here. I don't know if you guys have them in Canada yet, but the lantern flies, are you familiar with those? No. So it's prevalent right now in Pittsburgh and probably most of, northeastern united states they're these little flies that i think only live for about a year you know but they grow to be probably you know probably the size of a half dollar and they are invasive so i think they came over from you know our other four our other favorite sea word china and they've been just they, they, their uh, saliva will like get on trees and it'll like kill the trees and they reproduce like uh-huh. crazy and they're very destructive. And this was a huge piece of me that was a little bit difficult for a while for me to integrate, which was in regards to killing them because I'm like, you know, I, I was kind of in this middle of like, you know, kind of Jainism and Sikhism and Buddhism and Hinduism where it's like, okay, where does destruction come into this? Like this is killing, like that's not Okay. And, you know, kind of the message I found is that, you know, this is a species that's not in there. A couple of things was unraveling here. Number one um, is that it's a species that's not in their appropriate environment. And so it will cause more harm than good. And so, you know, it's almost dutiful in order to kill them. The next thing that comes in is like, okay, are you killing them with malicious intent or are you killing them with, in regards to serving a higher power in terms of, you know, uh, serving the greater good. And, you know, this came into a big issue as well with me because, and I briefly talked about this at the end of one of my podcasts, actually, I don't know if it's out there or not, but I know that there's a strong opinion that humans are a plague on the earth and we should be wiped out. I mean, it's probably not strong, but it exists. And so, you know, I'm kind of sitting there in this conundrum of like, you know, like, our, like, our, I know we're not a plague. I know we're capable of beautiful things. So like, why are we not supposed to be wiped out, but I'm supposed to wipe out this bug. Because again, this was a, in regards to killing this bug, it came from a place of calmness where I'm like, am I supposed to do this? It's like, yes. And I'm like, shit, like, you know, it, it created that that tension in my body, that tension of this is something you're supposed to do in order to... <sighs> I don't want to say conquer your fear. Maybe it is conquering a fear, a fear of doing harm, you know, conquering that fear. But it's like, so sorry to go down that rabbit hole, but coming back to this idea of humans, you know, how is it then that humans are not a plague on this earth, but these insects in particular is, is something that I should be trying to help eradicate. And the way that it was kind of came to me is like, well, earth was made for humans you know humans are supposed to be here this insect was not made for this geographical location so it is not supposed to be here you know it changes i was shown that it changes perspectives if you go to china and then start killing them it's like now you're doing wrong you're you're now malicious intent with your killing however with you know in terms of killing this insect in pittsburgh or the northeast or anywhere that it might be invasive It's teaching you a different lesson. It's teaching you that lesson of, are you able to carry out, you know, killing something that's invasive, that shouldn't be where it's supposed to be. But can you do that with peace? Can you do that with calmness? Can you do that with bliss? And wow, I just got this perspective. If we zoom out and look at the C word we were talking about, think about how many people lost their lives or their lives were changed or they came into harm from our physical perception but if we take a step back from the perception of god it's to make space for this new energetic upgrade and i mean holy shit like think about how how much that has to or had to like had to have pained it him her like you know what i mean like i think i'm getting at a point where i may be just out of my perception of reality but you know just that Conundrum exists where there might be times where you see that doesn't feel right to say. I am going to hold back from saying that. Maybe this is a good spot to open it up to you if you have anything to add to this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what you are talking about is it's a perfect example of why it doesn't work to speak about things like this in terms of absolutes or like like absolute rules because there is so much subtlety and nuance because I think you're totally right. It depends on the, like the true state from which, you know, if you're, if you're killing these bugs, um, the state from which you're doing it versus like the description I offered of the fly. And maybe that's not true. Like I, that's just what I thought when you were, you know, sharing the story of your, of the fly, but if somebody was killing the fly because they perceived the fly as an annoyance and a threat and like, you know, whatever, um, that is basically like, essentially is uh, it's a vibration of feeling disempowered to the external circumstances. If you are if you're killing something from a space of connecting with, you know, um, like higher self or God consciousness, and that's the, the message that you receive, you can do it with beautiful love. Like I, I again, like I know how cheesy this sounds in words, but I remember hearing a podcast interview a jillion years ago. I don't remember what it was, but, um, the woman who hosted it was speaking for a segment with, uh a man who did the slaughtering for a halal food producer. And he said that his job was so sacred because he would pray over the animal, be with the animal, like divinely connect with the animal and thank it for its life and then take its life. And the words he used specifically to describe it um, really moved me such that I remember that conversation like 10 years later because i thought that's i mean death isn't the death isn't the enemy so the taking of something's life is not um or the ending of of some being's life is not the thing that we should all avoid and as we as we put our efforts into avoiding the inevitability of death i think we create a lot of problems uh so the end of one life form i guess it kind of goes back to what i was saying maybe half an hour ago or maybe longer, I can't remember, but where I was talking about when you when you learn to access either past lives or the Akashic records or whatever, and you start to see yourself as a soul and you you encounter your other past lives and you realize like, wow, even though I might have died a horrible death, I didn't end. That was not the end of me. It was the end of that incarnation and that set of timeline probabilities and possibilities. And yet I go on. And so death isn't really the thing that we need to avoid. It's it's more like the the subtlety of what we are projecting onto the thing that we are experiencing through that death process. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's more about the energetic imprint of what you're doing or what's occurring. Because even if you're, as you're talking about with, uh, as you're talking about the guy who is carrying out those um you know the slaughterhouse i i very much take a similar approach still even with these lantern flies, which arguably are less energetically conscious conscious is the wrong word less energetically aware than an animal would be and i still take that same process of like getting to a place of calmness asking like all right like making sure i'm banishing all darkness i'm literally like because i know i've heard multiple times it's like you can say, okay, if you're of darkness, you know, don't talk to me, only things of light. And that's like a fundamental rule in the universe where only beings of light, God specifically, in my case, is able to talk to you. And so even before I go and kill one, I'll take a second at least and just be like, hey, are are we still doing this? Am I still supposed to kill this thing? And, you know, so far it's always been a yes. And so it's, I'm on board with that sacred process of, you know, don't carry it's like the energy that you carry things out with as opposed to the action itself and then it's a huge mm -hmm. piece of the karmic imprint that gets left on you or gets left on the world because of the actions that you're taking Mm -hmm.
0: totally yeah i i really i really really believe that that is true and again like it's a it's a it's a dicey topic because then, you know, somebody might listen and extrapolate and assume that maybe we mean something like, oh, you know, whatever the ends justify, the means justify the end, or the end justifies the means, and you know, the greater good, and all all those kind of philosophies can be absolutely warped and taken in the wrong direction. It really is about the state of, you know, that we are the state we're embodying when we do something. Even more so, I think, than the intention behind it. It's like the state. Like, am I doing this in a state of love and freedom and peace? And I don't know. I don't know. I'm like just reaching for words, but not really feeling them at the moment versus a state of thinking that I am, I don't know, like here to hear-
1: Holier than thou. Here
0: to control things, I guess. You know what I mean? <clears throat> like, for example, so I used to be a midwife. So I used to work in the medical field and in, in Ontario, Canada, where I live, um, midwives are primary care providers. So that means we are the same as being a doctor, but we only specialize in like, like a healthy, normal pregnancy. If it becomes high risk, um, then we uh, transfer care or share care with uh, a specialist obstetrician. But my point is like, it's not, I know in the States in certain States, it's like this, like sort of like hippie unregulated thing in Canada. It's very regulated, very, very integrated in the medical system. And the majority, well, everything that we do in that industry is to prolong life. It's to guarantee life and save life. And as somebody who lost the life of her son, I say that I see the destructive effects of that philosophy. It is not, it's because it's coming from fear. So we aren't prolonging life out of a state of benevolence. We, in fact, we are villainizing death from a state of fear and it is causing very negative effects. And people don't really usually, usually want to talk about that because, you know, nobody wants to make room are you- for the reality of you know, mothers and babies die. Yeah,
1: Sorry to cut you off here, but I, it felt like there was a small shift there. And maybe it's just because I've been listening to other podcasts you've been on, but are we, are we starting to touch into transhumanism? Is that what you're talking about here? I,
0: I mean, it does absolutely lead into transhumanism. I wasn't, that wasn't what I was meaning, but it does lead into that. It's the same kind of philosophy, the idea, and I'm. It, you can see it at end of life care as well, or the way that we like. W- the objective is always for like for somebody to live. like we've determined that um, life pro- the prolonging of life is victory mm. and death is defeat. And that is not actually that's not true. That's coming from our ego fear.
1: So it's like a quantity and- over quality perspective.
0: Yeah, and so if you so in specifically in like mother and baby care if if one takes action, that we like we rationalize as like this is necessary in order to save the life of it's usually the baby but sometimes it's the mom um but the action is coming from a state of fear i have seen and witnessed and sadly participated in events from that scenario that I can see the damage that it's ca- it's causing damage to the mother, to the father, to the baby. And nobody wants to talk about that damage because all we all want to do is pat ourselves on the back and be like, oh my God. Oh, thank God we were there. The baby lived. but And then we're just like, sink or swim, like have fun with that trauma that no one's ever going to acknowledge. And you're going to get gaslit about forever. And you're going to feel postpartum depression and not know why. And everybody's going to be like, but at least you have a healthy baby. You know, it's, it's very, very destructive. Whereas, and I think that this is like for people who work in hospice care, end of life care, um, who like hold space for the natural death process, they understand that sometimes the thing that is the most loving is to accept an inevitable outcome and bring the most amount of reverence to it as possible, you know, or at least hold space for death being something that we don't have to avoid and be afraid of forever as if any of us can bypass it.
1: Are you able, because I think you lost me a little bit whenever you started talking about like the babies, are you able to provide a, an abstract example of what you're referring to?
0: Yeah, sure. So if there's the perception that a birth is going to be um, like a a risky kind of birth. um, So let me think. So if there is, let's say a woman has a history of giving birth to large babies. So 10 pounds and up, that's, that's pretty big for a newborn baby, but women do it. I've seen them do it naturally. Uh, so it's definitely possible. But in hospitals, it's perceived that that is dangerous. And there, are, of course, are risks associated with it. And I'm not trying to deny that. But what happens in the hospital, typically, but it can also happen at home births with midwives as well, is that the, the doctors, the nurses, like all the medical staff, they go into it thinking, This bad outcome, this like high risk outcome that could cause, you know, a trauma to the baby or a death to the baby or something like that is of greater likelihood here. So we're going to mentally prepare for it. And as we mentally prepare for it, we are unknowingly going to stack the chips in that direction. So that it, and we are going to take physical action. Like I'm not just talking about manifesting it, I'm talking about taking physical action that increases the likelihood that a traumatic outcome is going to occur. And then we're going to participate in the, what would have probably been unnecessary resuscitation of a baby, causing trauma to the baby, separating the mom and the baby, causing trauma to the mom and the dad. And then we're going to put the baby in the special care nursery for a period of observation, because that's the protocol following a resuscitation and prolonging the separation of mom Mm. and baby. And we're never going to talk about the amount of damage that we caused. Instead, we're going to self-congratulate because we saved the day, but actually we caused the whole fucking thing, most likely. Like there's a, there's a situation Specifically, what I'm referring to, there's a situation called shoulder dystocia, so it can happen with any size of baby, but it tends to happen more commonly with big babies but basically, it's where the um so if you think of a baby coming out of the mom's birth canal, one of the shoulder the the babies come out sideways, so there's a bottom shoulder that comes out like closer to her bum, and there's a top shoulder that comes out closer to her pubic bone. Sometimes that top shoulder won't be like. Rolled in enough, and it'll get hooked on the pubic bone. So the head is born, but as you try to guide the baby out, it's getting hooked on the, and and you know we learn that there's only so many minutes that the, this situation can go on for before brain damage starts to occur, and it fills you with so much panic that you're the one as the midwife or the doctor or the nurses you're on the hook for the outcome of this mm. baby's life, so. I'm not trying to like um disparage the character or the intentions of any medical staff who go through these situations also they experience trauma all the time and then like go to work the next day without any opportunity to digest and integrate that trauma. So if you think that there like you think there's a big baby coming and you think there's a chance that there's going to be a shoulder dystocia I've seen it happen so many times where then the doctor changes their approach and they, rather than just letting the baby be born, they kind of start pulling on the baby, which then interrupts the natural process that wants to happen, potentially creates a shoulder dystocia, or maybe it was just a big fucking baby and it was going to take an extra minute to come out. And then automatically we assume, oh my God, it was a shoulder dystocia. The, if the baby doesn't start crying within 15 seconds, we have to clamp and cut the cord and take the baby over to the warmer and start um, resuscitating it to get it to breathe right away. Wow. And yeah, those those situations all cause a lot, a lot of collateral damage and we just don't ever discuss it. So prolonging life from a place of fear, the whole reason I started talking about it, the prolonging life from a place of fear can be... Um, more destructive than facilitating death from a place of acceptance and love mm. it's not really about life or death, it's about the state within which we meet it
1: right. No, that makes a lot of sense, and I mean, I think you probably even see that in in regards to many things, but even just trying to live an extra day or just trying to do mm-hmm. things that are going to live an extra day and you know and this is kind of where I came like I see it as just a quality versus quantity thing it's like would you rather live one day of the greatest day of your entire life or a 100 years of just misery and pain and torture it's like sign me up for the one day like if that's if those are the two options why would I why would I try to have the worst possible thing but You know, and I'm sure there's a whole bunch of different elements that come into this, you know, hospital situation that it's easier for me to say than it does for, yeah. Do you feel like there's things that could be done within the hospital space that would correct this or at least get us a little bit closer to something that might be a little bit more calming as opposed to destructive?
0: I don't, I honestly don't think so because it's so ingrained in the system because basically what everybody ultimately fears. I mean, of course they, they do genuinely fear the death of a baby or the death of a mother or some kind of, you know, outcome that is going to cause just devastating grief to a family. But what they ultimately are acting out of is the fear of litigation because that's how the system is set up and so every single action you're taking is about covering your butt everything everything you're doing it's impossible not to and that was a rude awakening for me when I went into midwifery because I went in all like naive and thinking like oh my god I'm just I'm going to help people have like the best birth possible and there were so many times that I had to watch my hands doing something that I knew was not in the highest Like support of the highest health of everybody. For example, preparing a medication that I knew was not going to make things better for anyone, but that the protocol required me to do it. And if I didn't do that and... If I didn't do that and there were was any kind of bad outcome, like it all would have fallen on me. Like everybody is looking with a fine tooth comb through the history of what happened to find the person to point the finger at. So that's the whole entire culture of it. Mm. And it applies to everybody. And I don't I just don't think that there are any changes that can be made unless that is completely eradicated. I don't see that happening anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah, it's,
1: it sounds to me almost as if we need to find a way to divorce the money from from the healthcare institution, but it at the same point it seems very difficult, given the natural state of the world in regards to health care like
0: and the per- and the perception of that like the perception that um a doctor it most most often manifests with a doctor, but like that the doctor somehow has godlike powers mm. to To help you avoid death, do you know what I mean? Like we, it's about money. But I think a lot of the times when people sue, it's because they're in so much pain, and they think that somebody should have done something different. But everybody's just a human. Like we're in that sense, we're not God. You know, we we have a connection to God, but we aren't the ones as our individual ego selves, we aren't the deciders of who lives and dies. And when we try to do that kind of thing, it doesn't usually go very well. So um, I think, I think that's a big part of it too. It is sort of like we are trained to believe that all babies should live and all mothers should live. And if that's not the case, it's because somebody did something wrong.
1: So in regards to this, uh, this idea of that we don't have say or control over at least let's say our life like when we die when we live whenever you've worked with the akashic records what level of control do we have in planning let's say our life in regards to how long we live or what we're going to experience or who we're being born to do we have control over that or none at all
0: Yeah. So I found something super interesting. It's, it seems to me that there are two different types of incarnations or types of souls. So the first one is the one that we're typically more familiar with, and I call them loopers. And it's, it involves the, the karmic wheel that a lot of us have heard about. Um, I'm just trying to think about how to approach it because there's all these like understanding that I have that I don't know if it, if everybody would understand it, but so what it looks like to me is that the way that this place is supposed to work is that we would totally plan out our incarnation, like every aspect of it. And then we would come in and have the incarnation. And then when we die, we we completely leave this realm, this game. And we, I don't know, chill out till we're ready to incarnate again, wherever, as whomever, and we decide all that again. Uh, So we would have free passage and free will to decide all of it and then live it out from the human perspective here. But what I see happens is that, um there I call it a oh my gosh, I haven't used this term in a while. I'm realizing so I'm kind of forgetting what it was. Oh, yeah, it's like a a frequency net. There's a frequency net over top of earth, so to speak that prevents souls from actually leaving and holds us at a lower frequency of consciousness so that we don't do this ascending stuff and remembering that we are the lucid dreamer within the dream. And we, for, you know, we don't ever self-actualize to that degree of power and co-create with God in the way that we are designed to do. And so we live these lives and they are, um, they're very traumatic they're very painful there's a lot of pain you know there's like physical body pain there's relationship pain there's personal ego pain there's heartbreak there's um th- there's all the layers of pain that coincide with all of our chakras a lot of trauma and a lot of false programming and if we're at a certain level of unconsciousness then when we die if we are deeply identified with those stories it creates a density to our um, like our, our soul consciousness, I guess, where we can't pass through that frequency net and we, whatever leftover charge, um, emotional charge and sort of like theme or pattern was like remained at the point when we die, it's, it's still alive in us. So then we just, um, we kind of leave an incarnation. And I do believe that we go to like, a a peaceful place within the fourth dimension, like within the astral, like there are layers of the astral as well, but we never actually get out of the astral and we just loop back into another incarnation that rather than picking the features and designing an incarnation intentionally that would serve us, it's like we loop back into an incarnation that is set up to have a similar emotional charge and similar themes and that's kind of the karmic wheel and we have to ho- like hopefully we eventually figure it out so that we can approach those traumatic situations with more consciousness and liberate ourselves from the it's kind of like being in a hell loop basically mm. and i perceive that most of the people who are incarnated are loopers um so that's the experience they're having then I see another group of souls and I think this is what is often referred to as star seeds but I don't know that it necessarily has to be souls that come from a different planet or whatever but it it appears to me that somehow we're outside of the this construct and so we're not stuck within that frequency net and we choose to come in to try and raise the frequency of consciousness here and I call those souls drip downs because it's like they have an outie and then they choose a portion of their energy to come in as an innie. And usually they orchestrate multiple incarnations for themselves at a time. Um, And so it's almost more like parallel lives than past lives. Like they're living these different incarnations all at the same time with the same soul consciousness, but it will happen at different points in the human historical timeline.
1: Whoa. How do you know if you're living parallel lives at this time?
0: Um, I guess I would say that the, the hallmark thing for me is like, like when I think about loopers, most of the people who come for Akashic readings with me are not loopers. They are drip downs, but sometimes they can be loopers and one is not better than the other at all. It's just, it's more like some of us kind of got, um, it really does feel like some of us got trapped here and some of us came from outside to spring the trap mm. um, but l- loopers are usually really they feel fragmented like they they feel um <sighs> like they can't remember a lot of themselves. They don't have a lot of memory. And I the reason I hesitate is because I'm like I also don't want to make anybody think that if they can't remember their past lives, that must mean that they're loopers or something like that and that they're trapped here. Like I don't want to instill fear. This is just my English language way of trying to explain patterns that I see. But um like loopers Almost like they, there's so much energy behind the patterns that they're playing out. They're, those patterns are very hard to break. They can be broken for sure. But it, like, I think about, you know, our whatever, our parents or our grandparents who are still doing the same thing that they've been doing for 20 years, watching the price is right, playing bingo, chain smoking, like that kind of thing. And they're like, Complaining about the same pattern that has been happening forever as if they don't have any control over it. And the reason they don't isn't because their soul is immature. It's because they have been fragmented through so many lifetimes of trauma that they are disconnected from the wholeness of their consciousness. So it's harder for them to remember the continuity of themselves and their multiple lifetimes and how powerful they are. They just feel very identified with who they are are in this life and the the pattern that they're living out. Um whereas the drip downs, a lot of the time they do carry a lot of galactic energy or starseed energy. Like there is just something about them that feels like not entirely from this earth or they're carrying, I don't know, like I take I use all those terms with a big grain of salt, but like they're they're carrying information or experience or memory from I'll call it elsewhere, a different video game. (laughs) Um, And they have more of a knack to have a spontaneous recall or like achieve states of transcendence even if it's in bite-sized chunks kind of like you were describing with your process of um reading this book and cultivating your peace like that is an indication of a drip down soul like your there is a part of you that's outside of here so your buy in to the illusion of this place is less intense than it is for a looper but it's not because you're you're better you're anchored in more of a frequency of absolute truth and the loopers got stuck here. So they're anchored in more of like the illusion.
1: And this is the end of part two. In part three, Amy and I finish up this whole idea on reincarnation and the different perspectives we have. We even jump into NPCs, which are non-playing characters. I don't think I've shared my opinions on those before, but we jump into that there. We dive deeper into karma and how we can really get salvation from it. We even dive into religion and the trauma that that's created. So guys, stick around because I know if you've been enjoying part one and part two, you will always enjoy part three because in my opinion, that's always the best part. I don't know why, but the way these podcasts play out just seems like part three is the best, but enough for me. So with all that being said, I look forward to seeing you guys in Odyssey number 89, part three, unraveling the tangles of the cosmic puzzle and spiritual truth.